0: The book of Ruth is a a great story. In fact, it is so great that the Jews read it every year in their synagogue meetings. Uh, They read it every year, the time of Pentecost, which is the feast of weeks when the harvest is just about to to come in. Uh, It's really because that's the turning point in the story of Ruth during the barley harvest, which is celebrated 50 years, 50 days after the Pentecost. It's a great story that the Jews read every year but it's also a great story because it is just a quality, quality story. If you look through the story, it has elements of suspense and emotion and passion and tension and drama. In fact, it even mixes in a love story. Kind of Hollywood would love that. It begins in sorrow and it ends in joy. So it's a feel-good story where you, you leave feeling feeling nice and good and accomplished and happy for Ruth and Naomi. But as much as it deals with these individuals of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, also one of the things that make it a great story is that it's really bigger than that. It's not merely just a story about some individuals in the Old Testament, as much as it is about the mighty hand of God working behind the scenes, orchestrating everything to His own purposes for the good of His people and for the glory of His name. Fundamentally, the book of Ruth is a story of redemption. The word redemption or redeem or redeemer occurs some 20 times in this book. It's a story of those who are weak and helpless, brought back to a point of security as they were redeemed back. The, the central theme of, of Ruth is this idea of redemption. It's a true story of two desperate women who find themselves in a hopeless situation Brought back and restored to a place of hope by the kindness of a kind and honorable man who restores their fortunes in a, to life. And in this way, it's a story of hope. It's a story of um, restoration. Or as I have chosen to entitle this book, Luke, or Ruth, Life Restored. There's restored or redeemed. And, and the redemption takes place on many levels. I mean, first of all, it takes place um, about Ruth. And Ruth is one who's of the Moabitists and she finds God in Moab, comes to Israel, and and is restored fully to, to God. Her testimony is that she grew up far from God in a pagan land. But by the end of the story, you see her near to God, experiencing His blessings. Indeed, Ruth was restored to life, if you will. But there's another level going on, Ruth, because in many ways... Although the book is named after Ruth, I think in many ways the main character in the story is Naomi. Though she is not, she is not so prominent as Ruth, she is more prominent at the beginning and sort of at the end. And she is restored to life too. She, she faced a bitter life with a bleak future. And due to famine in the land, she traveled with her husband and her two children to Moab and there all three of them died. But in the kindness of God, her life was restored. Coming back to Israel, having a, a grandson in that sense, she was restored to life. In chapter fourteen, verse chapter four, verse fifteen, even it says that of him being a sustainer of your old age. He's a restorer of life to you. So in many ways, Naomi had her life restored. But on another level, even it goes back more beyond just these individuals like Ruth and Naomi, it even goes to all of Israel. Israel is restored to life. This is a story about the restoration of Israel. When the story begins, we find Israel in the dark days of the judges, when chaos reigned and Israel was fading in power. But by the end of the book, there's hope. Indeed, the very last word of the book of Ruth is this word, David. As in King David, the one who would restore Israel to all of her glory and power. In fact, even not only did David do that, the glory days of Israel were the days of David, but through David's line then would come one to be the Messiah. In this way, Boaz anticipates the Messiah coming. He was the one willing and able to redeem or restore Ruth and Naomi. In this way, he's a picture of Jesus, our true Redeemer who will be able to redeem us all from sins of life we really believe. But on the grandest level of all, the book of Ruth is a story about God and His sovereign, mysterious workings in the lives of people and the lives of nations. And the book of Ruth is a reminder, really, it comes to all of us that life is restored in God. Is that though things look dark and grim, God is working His plan, His way, for His glory and for our good. That's the story of the book of Ruth. He restored Ruth to life, he restored Naomi to life. He gave King David to Israel and the process restored Israel to life and has really the means by which he restores us to life. And I think this is why the, the story of Ruth is such a great story, because it hits it, hits at all these different levels, kinda of all at the same time. And this way it's a little bit like veggie tales. Those of you children know veggie tales, you like uh, Bob the tomato? You like him? And Larry, the cucumber, you like him, guys? Now, what's interesting is the kids, even the most simplest of kids, love the VeggieTales story. But for those of you adults who've watched the VeggieTales, there is a ton of things that Big Idea Production puts in there that like go way over the heads of kids and uh, is very, very funny and very, very entertaining even for adults. And that's, that's a good story, is, is, is it can take the children, and the children will love the story of Ruth. But for us adults, maybe who have gone through some trials and pains of life, we'll see the bigger themes and deeply enjoy it as well. It's why it's read every year in the Jewish community. Restored to Life really embraces the reality of the story and it brings us to grips with that as well. Is that, that Ruth is a picture we see her life redeemed, but also in God our life can be redeemed through the trials and difficulties through which we come. And as my theme here is, life restored. Before you have life restored, you need to have life destroyed in some sense. You need to have a fall. And that's what we encounter in Ruth chapter 1. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at, really, the fall. The title of my message this morning is entitled, Dark Days. These were the days that Israel were facing. These are the days that Naomi and her children faced as well. Let's begin in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. As we begin here in the book of Ruth, let me just tell you that my my hope and my my goal is that I would give you a sense of the passion and emotion of things that are going on here. Um, I watched a movie about Ruth yesterday and my preparation for this was in tears several times. Just the the passion and the things involved here are deep and I feel like I'm woefully inadequate to do that today. I'm going to try. By God's grace, we will. But we will see the The difficulties I want to bring them out in these dark days. We see verse 1 talking about the historical context around the book of Ruth. It was when the judges governed. And you know how good of days those were for the Israelites. If you turn your eyes over to the following page, look back to the end of the book of Judges, the very last verse in Judges, it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the day of the judges. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. There's like no law, no regard for God, no regard for neighbor, just doing what you want. Chaos reigned. And this is the days of Israel, the days of the judges, when when Israel was taking a spiral downward. Oh, there were times when they got so bad that they were in desperation and they cried out to the Lord and God provided them a judge. And then Israel's fortunes were raised for a little bit, but then soon afterwards, they did what was right in their own eyes and they went down again. And eventually, they reached bottom pit and they cried to the Lord again. The Lord delivered them. But then again, they went astray. And it's kind of like this downward, downward spiral. Now, Ruth comes about probably about a 100 years before the end of the judges' period. So these days aren't... Especially good days, these are bad days. And in fact, we can see verses 1 and 2, the word I want to hang our thoughts on here this morning is the word famine, to show you how bad things are. It says, there was a famine in the land. In recent days, we have faced an economic downturn, slowdown, high unemployment. It's a bit what's happening here. Economic slowdown, in the days of Israel. That's what famine means to an agricultural community. When there's no rain, and there's no crops, and there's no crops, there's no produce, there's no thing, substance, food, and people starve and people die because no food means no money, means death in some cases. Now, there's no mention of why the famine came could have come as a result of war. I mean, after all, this was the time of the judges when other people were conquering Israel. judge raised up. They conquered. It was back and forth. Maybe a, a country came in and wiped out some of the crops, wiped out some of the land, burned the harvest up. Perhaps that was it. Perhaps it came as a result of divine judgment. When Israel was failing to walk in the ways of the Lord, God promised in Deuteronomy 28 that He'd bring famine on the land. And so, the famine came probably one of these two ways. Either an army destroyed them, burned their crops, burned a couple seasons of crops, or God just withheld the rain from them. Either way, it's bad. Both were common in the days of Judges. But, like many questions in the book of Ruth, the why is not answered. In the end, it doesn't really matter why. What matters is that there was a famine. And it came. And, and actually what it did, it drove a man, his wife, and his two sons, to seek something better. And they thought that they would find something better in Moab, <coughs> east. 70, 80 miles east, down past the Jordan River, over to Moab. And they were just seeking to survive, is why they made this move. They weren't They weren't looking to settle there. This word sojourn, ger, just as an idea of just being there, an alien for a, a portion of a time. I mean, the, eventually they were planning to come back to Israel, but they were looking to to live, and this decision certainly wouldn't be easy. I mean, first of all, it's difficult to move away from your homeland. That's not something you just do on a whim. Maybe, maybe single people will do that and study abroad, but to pick up your whole family and do that, it's very hard. Second, to go to a land where you're only seeking something better, hoping, that's a hard decision to make. And then in the culture of an Israelite traveling to Moab, that's hard to swallow as well. And the Moabites came from an incestuous relationship with Lot, Abraham's nephew, and, and in fact, in Deuteronomy 23, they were on the list of those um, people who were excluded from coming near the presence of God in the temple for ten generations. So they're kind of excluded and, and outcasts and kind of, kind of Jews, you know, maybe related to Abraham a little bit distant-wise, but really, really often, and unclean, they were a pagan people, an idol-worshiping people, not a, Not a good place for Jewish people to go. And yet, the famine was so severe, I don't blame Elimelech and Naomi at all to to say, hey, we need to go there. It's better to live there than to die in Israel. And so they left Bethlehem. Beth house, Lechem bread. They left the house of bread to go down to Moab looking for bread. And the dark days get darker in verses 3-5 through for uh, Naomi and Elimelech. Keyword word here is death. Verse 3, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she's left with her two sons. Then, Elimelech, I'm sorry, then, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And then both Malon and Kilion died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now, I want you to picture the scenario. I want you to feel the heartache. A family of four arrives in Moab and soon afterwards, the father dies. Imagine kids. You're going to some foreign land and your dad dies. It's just mom and then two sons. Now, I suspect these sons were old enough. They were old enough to marry... Soon afterwards, or soon at some point. We're not exactly sure. The, the chronology here is difficult exactly to figure out what's going on. But maybe these men were teenagers. Maybe they're in their 20s. I'm not sure. But enough to support mom. Not so bad, but the you know emotions of losing a dad. is hard. Emotions of losing a husband is hard. Emotions of losing a wife is hard. It's hard. I don't know how old he was. I'm guessing he's got... 15, 20-year-old sons. He's a little older than me. 50 maybe. And here's a widow. Husband dead. And then, some joy in his, in her life, in Naomi's life, as her sons, Malon and Kilion, also Mary, and they have uh, nice wives. Ruth, Norpa kind of a happy family. They may have all lived together, which was the custom. A, a big happy family, probably working. There, there was some sorrow there probably. They were, they were there 10 years together with no children. Just probably had some difficulty there. Barrenness. It's hard. And then, one after the other, Maulan and Killian died. We don't know if it was disease, field accident, sickness. We don't know what it was. They died. And so picture this, picture this scene here. You've got a, three women in a family. A mother who's 50, pushing 50, who knows, 55. Two daughters have been married at least here for 10 years. Two daughters, 25 years old. The anguish of the home, I'm telling you, must have been unbearable. Like what, what are we going to do? In a man's world in which they lived, you earned your bread by the sweat of the brow. It's not like today when women can get jobs as easily. They would have been well, farm workers somehow. It would have been hard, hard work. Certainly, I do believe that there is time of questioning. Well, one of the things that, that Ruth deals with us in the, in the book is, is just a reality of here things were. We see Naomi just kind of matter-of-the-fact, but you can feel the tension and the questioning Naomi must have had in her mind. Why? Why, oh God, would You bring this curse upon my house? Why wouldn't You bring blessings? We are Your promised people. Yes, we're in Moab, but we, went, we had no choice, God. Why would you give me a husband only to take him away? Why would you give me two sons only to take them away? What, was it my disobedience? Was there something wrong with me? Was there some, some sin in my husband or my, my sons? Why? why? Why is this? And the why questions never answered. I'm sure Ruth and Orpah felt the same things. I mean, they're right there with their mother-in-law. Why, God, would you let me marry into this family? Or maybe better yet, why, oh gods, these were Moabite women, pagan worshippers, why are we in this mess? Why, why am I left here to eke out a, a, a living with this woman from Israel? Why? Why is this? And we don't know. We just know that it came from the hand of the Lord. That's what we know. There are parallels here to the life of Job. He was a wealthy man, family large and prosperous, feared the Lord, walking with the Lord, then one night tragedy struck. The Sabaeans attacked the servants of Job and killed them all, ran away with the 500 donkeys and 500 oxen. fire of God fell from heaven upon the 7,000 sheep and the shepherds who were shepherding those sheep, all destroyed. The Chaldeans came, made a raid against his 3,000 camels and, cur- and killed all of them and and killed all of the servants who were carrying to the camels. A great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of his house where his seven sons and three daughters were living. And the house fell down and crushed all of his children. And he found out about this in a matter of 15 minutes or so. Now the parallels don't come in magnitude, but they come in devastation certainly. And Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped God, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job didn't know why these things happened, but he trusted the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord. And from what we see of Naomi, this was close to her response as well. We see in verse 20, that she says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. But according to verse 16, it appears that as Ruth says, I want your God to be my God, she seemed to be walking with the Lord, even as she, in verse 8, invokes a a blessing upon Naomi and Orpah. In verse 9, just even speaking about the Lord. I sense that Naomi, through this, was, was struggling, had difficulties, but was surely following the Lord. I think also the difficulties that Naomi would have faced being in the land of Moab from the Moabites who come and watch these foreigners come and live in their means and then watches a father die and watches a son die and watches another son die and certainly think that they're under a curse of some type. Your God's not strong enough to protect you, Naomi? How about you offer up to our gods? We're not dying. Come worship with us. It's hard enough to to face the battles and temptations of the world, the ridicule of the world when you have a good support structure, a good church. But when you're out alone, it makes it doubly difficult. And so for that reason, Naomi decides to return and that's what we see here in verses 6 through 18. That's my word here return. We've seen famine, death, and now return. And we see a return kind of a a slouching posture if you will. She returns to uh Bethlehem defeated. Verse 6. And then she arose, that is Naomi, with her daughters in law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. I think uh, Naomi's reason for her return were many. First of all, there's no reason for her to stay in Moab. Her husband is gone, sons are gone. But especially, she had this report of well-being in Israel. She might as well return to her home where she might find some support there. Now, notice here, the sovereign hand of God, which really is throughout the book. It's subtle, but it's there. God providentially working His ways in the lives of His people. In verse 6, we read this, that the Lord had visited His people. Pekad is the Hebrew word. It just means that He, he came he came among them, and in this context, he'd, he'd visited them with kindness and care, a little bit like in Exodus, when, when the people of, Ex- of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard their bondage, appeared to Moses and Aaron, and then they appeared to the people, and it says in Exodus 4:31, "The people believed when they heard the Lord, when they heard that the Lord had visited the sons of Israel and had seen their affliction, and then they bowed their head low and worshipped. They believe because of the miracles that Abraham, uh, that that Moses and Aaron did, and they said, "Yes, God has visited us; He's come down upon us with kindness." And that's the same thing that Naomi heard happening in Ruth. I do believe this has to be. You think about the cycles of the judges. What is it? Israel was in desperation, and then Naomi and her family went to Moab, and then things got so bad. Israel cried out, and then God's providing a judge and a ruler and relief for them, relieving the famine and giving them some security. I do think it's a cycle of judges, things are going well, and so they decide to go back to Bethlehem. And that's the scene we have, the travel back to Bethlehem, the return, beginning in verse 7. I'm just going to read a bunch of words here and then just kind of go through them. So she departed from the place where she was, that's Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you and to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? That they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight, and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. What a great scene. Naomi leaves town. And as she leaves, she's followed by her daughters in law who walk with her. I think this is a, a little bit equivalent to when people come and visit our homes in America and we have them over and they eat dinner and then we say, oh, at the end of the evening we say goodbye and we, we usher them to the door. And what's their practice normally in America? We open the door and they go out and we say, see ya. And they shut the door and go back. But what they did is they rather than just saying, see ya, I mean, how can you how can you spend a decade or more with this woman and just say, okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Naomi. Out of common courtesy, they, they followed her. You know, it's a little bit like... uh Follow, bringing some of the airport and following them just right up to the security as far as she can go. That's what they're doing. They're bringing her, rather than just dropping her off at the airport, they're going and walking with her. Common courtesy. Saying goodbye was the proper thing to do. And, and then, then there comes this back and forth dialogue, which, which comes back. And Naomi's on the side that says, No, you guys go back. And they're on the side that says, No, we'll come with you. And, and it's several times it goes back and forth. You can see that there even in verse 8. Naomi, the first, first phrase. she's returned Return to your mother's house. and it's interesting. It's a mother's house rather than a father's house that probably has a reference to go back to your mother's house where you can prepare to be married again. It's kind of the idea there. It's not so much your father's house where you're going to protect you. It's your mother's house where you're going to go and be married again. But go back there. And then she invokes this blessing. May the Lord indeed deal kindly with you as you've dealt with with the dead, that is, Malon and Kilion, and with me. Just, she's just saying that you've dealt graciously and kindly with me. She's acknowledging that. And then pleading, may the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. There he Go back and get married. And, and Naomi's thinking about their welfare. It, they can marry Moabite men. And they can have a future and have a life. Naomi has no life, is what she's saying. And then, she kissed them, lifted up their voices, and wept. What would you expect from a few women saying goodbye? But a tear fest. Well, at first they were undeterred. They said, no, verse 10, we will surely return with you and your people. And we don't know if they continued on a little bit, maybe, or maybe right then Naomi starts to get logical on them. Verse 10, no, but you go back and, it was in verse 11, return my daughters. And, and, and then she starts saying, you know what, if you go back with me, you'll be under what's called the Leveret Law, which is the husband's brother law, which means that if a, if a wife has a husband and the husband dies, the brother of the man who died should come and take his place. That's what should happen. And uh, so in this case, with Malon and Kilion both dead, Naomi says, listen, if I were somehow even to conceive today, nine months later, I have a child. That's, are you going to wait until that child is marryable? You're not going to do that. You're going to be too old. That's not going to work. Go back. Find your husband there. It's better for you that way. That's what she's saying at verse 13. Uh, I love the fact here that Naomi really is saying these things from love and humility. In Philippians 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't look out for your own personal interests, but rather look out for the interests of others. And, And think about Naomi's situation. She's in great need. She's in her 60s. She's alone. She needs lots of help. For her, the best thing for her would be to have younger people living with her. But she wasn't thinking of herself. She was thinking of others. And there are some older women who are, who are in their age and they, they need, and they just keep their sons. Keep their sons living with them until they die. They're thinking of themselves. But here, Naomi's not. She's thinking about, thinking about them. She's thinking about Naomi and, and Orpah. And, and the best thing, earthly speaking, for them would be to have husbands of Moabites. And so, I think they both understood the logic of everything that's being told here. That's what caused, I think in many ways, the crying to increase. We see another sob story come here at the end of verse 13. Verse 14, right? They lifted up their voices. That's loudly. And they wept again. And Orpah, seeing the wisdom of Naomi's way, kissed her and left. And I don't, I don't blame Orpah at all. I think that she was reasonable. She made a fine choice, but Ruth made a more excellent choice. Ruth's showing her, her qualities there. Look, look at what Ruth does. Ruth clung to her. She embraced her. Um, the Hebrew word here is it, devak. Uh, it means to glue, like to stick things together. She was like glued to, her, to uh, Naomi. You know, Naomi, she might be that pest along her foot. She's trying to walk along, and, and Ruth's just not letting her go. I think there probably was certainly a physical embrace. Maybe there was a, a full on hug, says, No, I'm clinging to you, Ruth. I'm not letting you go. Maybe Ruth, Naomi's trying to run ahead, and Ruth, Ruth, there's some physical contact there. It's just a, a loving embrace that says, I don't want to leave you, Naomi. I love this word, cling. Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined or cling to his wife. Just a, a physical union there, an emotional union, a spiritual union that we are not going to part. We are going to be there together. Now, there's no sexual connotations here at all, but Ruth is just saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm not leaving you, Naomi. And I, I love what Ruth is doing here. Thinking about Philippians two, three, and 4. Right. Don't look after your own interests, but rather look for the interests of others. And she knew full well that Naomi needed somebody. And, and isn't it great when when you're looking out for someone else's interest and they're looking out for your interests, and and you try to try to help them and they're trying to help you, and you think that they're helping to their hurt and they think that you're helping to your hurt, and you are and they are, and it, it's, it's a picture of love, picture of humility, and that's what's taking place here. So so precious. But. Um, but Naomi doesn't stop. She says in verse 15, really quickly, says, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah probably wasn't converted pursuing pagan gods. And say, you just go there. That's your better life on this earth. And then Ruth pleads where her colors shine so brightly and so well. Verse 16, She says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And thus may the Lord do to me and worse. If anything but death parts you and me. And then when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, She said no more. Uh, I quoted earlier from Genesis 2.24, right? A man shall leave his father and mother shall cling to his wife. What what do people often say when they get married? I will be with you for better, for poorer, for riches. Riches are poorer, better, worse, till death do us... Come on. Till death do us heart. That's what she's saying here. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to stay where you stay. I'm going to be so with you that your people, the Israelites, I'm going to take as my own. I'm a Moabitess, but I'm going to be with the people of Israel. I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to follow you in death. Down to the burial plot. Where you die, I'm going to be buried right next to you. And God, curse me if that doesn't take place. I mean, this is a solemn oath and she's basically pledging her allegiance to Ruth. But it's bigger than that. It, to Naomi, but it's bigger than just Naomi. It, it's it's embracing a people. It's embracing a God. Now, this may well have been a time of her conversion. I, I think probably she was converted before then. But she was being encouraged to go back to her God. So maybe this is a time where she said, no, I'm I'm following you. And I'm following your God. Now, I, I want you to think here. How... Why did Ruth say these things? Or how did did she come come about to have this love for not only Naomi, but also then for the people of a a land she's never been to and for a God that she knows a little about? What does she know about God? She grew up not surrounded by believers. She, She grew up in a pagan, idolatrous nation. It may be that Naomi's family was the only glimpse of God that she knew. Maybe, maybe there were other Jews who left because of the famine, but maybe they went to other places. Moab's a country. That's like saying, yeah, we're going to England. And so maybe they were spread out. We, we, don't, we don't hear of anything, other Jews around. <clears throat> maybe there were some. But Ruth wouldn't have seen them up close and as personal as she saw Naomi. I do believe that there's something special about Naomi and her faith and her endurance through the dark days of her life that that shined forth the glory of God. See, because when days are dark, your faith has the opportunity to shine the brightest. Right? When days are dark, your faith has an opportunity to shine. And days were dark for Naomi, and I think there are opportunities for her faith to shine through. That is, Ruth mixed with Naomi. Yes, she saw the struggles. Yes, she saw the trials. Yes, she saw the questionings. But but time in, time out, she saw her unwavering faith in the Lord. And even as verses 8 and 9 show, just a, the tenderness there. She She's not embittered against these women. She's just pleading God's kindness upon them. Kind and tender words show her faith in God was still very real. And So I think it was Naomi's life that really gave Ruth uh, an apprehension for the God that she's following. And, and I love Ruth's words. How there's no hesitation, there's no doubt, an unwavering resolve for her to be with Naomi and to be with her God and her people. I mean, think about it also for Ruth. This wasn't the easy path. The easy path is to go back home. Her mother, and maybe her father, still alive, mother still there in Moab, she could have gone back to them. She would back and live with her sister. Two single women living together, they could have done that. Go back there, get a husband. That would have been the easier way. Rather, she wanted the life of her mother-in-law. I do believe this. She wanted the life of one who could endure such tremendous difficulties in life and still have a faith in God. I think that's the key to Ruth's life. She saw Naomi, face dark days, and, and lived a life of faith through that, and saw the reality of that, says, so that's the life I want. I don't want a life with pagan happiness. I know, Naomi, your faith is real. And if you think about it, I think that's about all she saw of Naomi's faith. Naomi's life in Moab was, was dark with death and sorrow. Very little happiness. Oh, at the weddings would have been happy. And Kilian and... Malon, we're married. Uh, Certainly those were happy times. But but overall, I think it was difficulty and hardship, pain, sorrow, loss, poverty. The only thing that Ruth saw in Naomi was difficulty and distress in life, but a faith that went through that. And I think that was the faith that uh, attracted her to that. And Ruth wanted and was willing to sacrifice all to get that faith. And so I just say to all of you who are experiencing difficulty in your life, be encouraged. Because the hard days can be days in which your faith shines beautifully. Too often, I think we can get caught up in the success mentality. We think that people will be attracted only to success. Right to the, to the person who's like boldly witnessing for Christ. And everything's abounding with him. He's got a great family. Everything's going well for him. Right? He's, he's rich. He's being abounding in blessings. And that's when people will come to Christ. Cause look at me. Look at the blessings that God gives. And look at how victorious I am over this. And we can fall into that. Think that people only follow a perfect image of a perfect believer. But think about how they're setting up for a fall. I think, though this people will follow authentic faith when authentic faith demonstrates its reality through trials, and that's as powerful as anything is. And I think there was a genuineness to Ruth to Naomi's faith that attracted Ruth to that. And I think that's the kind of thing that that brought out this sort of profession. That's the sort of thing that will produce this loyalty. Because if you're attracted to someone who's got everything all going well, then when you have something difficult, you're like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm gone. But when you're attracted to someone who's gone through difficulties and trials and stays through it true, then when difficulties and trials come and encompass your life, you'll be ready to stick through it because you've seen that and that's what you're following after. How we need to speak the cross of Christ. Difficult, anguish, trouble. So that's the one We follow. And so when troubles come upon us, we look at Jesus and say, He endured the cross for me. Why cannot I not endure my cross? And that's what produces a a kind of profession that says, where you go, Naomi, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. That is typical of a Every follower of Jesus Christ. All in for Jesus. Regardless of the blessings that come or don't come. There's no ifs. There's no, I will follow you if things go well with you. It's not, I will live with you if things go well. It's not, I'll be with your people as long as things go well. I'll follow your God as long as things go well. No, no, no. I'm going to follow regardless, thick or thin. That's where I'm going. It's the kind of discipleship that Jesus calls us to. If anyone wishes to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Ruth hated her life but wanted the life of Naomi which is a hard, suffering life. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says, whoever does not carry up his own cross and come after me he cannot be my disciple. Come, Take up your cross, ready to die. So I just say, what about you? Can you say that? Have you said that? Can you say this? Even if it means no blessing upon my life, Christ, I will still follow You. That's what it means to hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Even if they all come up against me, even if, even if God strikes them all dead, I'm still following You. Can you say that? Christ, I will follow You even if You kill all of my children. I love You more and I love them. You say, Christ, I will follow You even if I I lose my job, even if I have some debilitating accident, even if I'm left in poverty, O Lord. Christ, You are my all. I am following You. Can you say that? Can you say, Jesus, You're my God. I love You. I owe my all to You. I'm Your disciple, and I will follow You until the end. That's what the Christian says. Anything less, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. And we see, we see Ruth here stripped of everything and going to live with Naomi. And Naomi's life wasn't so good. Here's the fourth and final word this morning. We've seen famine, death, return, and now the word bitter. 19 through 22. It's how Naomi viewed herself so they both, that is Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. That is Naomi's hometown. For Ruth, I'm sure she was wide-eyed. Everything's new. Never seen these buildings before. Never seen these people before. Everything's new. Kind of probably an excitement in there. But for Naomi, it was bad for her because she knew what it meant. And it, it implied that she was coming back not... not not as a great victorious Naomi, she was coming back a defeated, beaten woman. And when they came to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Or it could be said, Naomi? Can it be? It's Naomi! And in and, and a small town, you know, things start talking around, Hey, Naomi's back! Naomi's back! It pretty much... Floods through that. And they say, could it be? Is she home? After have me, it is. It's Naomi. She's back. And, and uh, typically, there'd be reason for celebrate. Hey, there's happy. And Naomi wanted nothing of it. Look what she said in verse 20. Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me that the Almighty has afflicted me? There's a play on words here. You probably know what this is, but we need to repeat this. She's saying this, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Rather call me Mara, which means bitter. Right? Remember the bitter waters of the Egyptian account? They called that place Mara because the water was too bitter to drink. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Bitter. The Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Notice, this doesn't say that Naomi herself is bitter. It says that her life is one in which God was embittered against her. And you can see the the pain, though, in her voice. You You can feel it. You can see her perspective. She left with a husband and two sons and now returns with one daughter-in-law. She left with hopes of survival and prosperity and she comes back in defeat and poverty. And the question comes, how can her life be pleasant? How can her life be Naomi? And she felt as if she were under the chastisement of the Lord. Look at the active hand of God in Naomi's theology. He says... She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, the Lord has witnessed against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. Notice how she doesn't speak. She doesn't say, things have gone bad for me. Bad luck is what I encountered. That venture failed. I guess things didn't work out. Circumstances happen that were, she doesn't, it's nothing of that. It's all God dealing bitterly. It's God bringing her back empty. It's God witnessing against her and God afflicting me. I believe that she speaks the truth. If you believe in the absolute sovereignty of God over all things, she speaks the truth. Her experiences were bitter, and they came from the hand of a Lord. God could have sustained her and her children, couldn't, she have? couldn't He have? He definitely could have. God could have blessed her. God would have, could have prospered her. And just as God could have done that, God also could have oppressed her and afflicted her like He did. He brought hardships into her life. <laughs> but here's, here's the jewel today. Okay? We've seen dark days. And in Naomi's perspective, it is really dark. Um, but she doesn't realize the brightness is there. Let me show you the brightness is there. Particularly in this phrase, this epitomizes it, I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Okay, so she went out full. What would she have? She had a husband and two sons. She considered that full, and she comes back with a daughter-in-law, and she says, I came back empty. And I'm sure Ruth is saying... Excuse me, I kind like, of like for nothing. I came back maybe a little bit full. You know what she's saying? She's. I came back empty. Turn over to chapter four. Once you see how Naomi failed to realize the treasure before her eyes, and this is when God, in His providence, actually is doing a good thing for her good and for His glory. Chapter four, verse thirteen. Speaks to the end of the story. And we'll get there in the next couple weeks. But Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. So here Ruth comes back into Israel. Marries this man Boaz. Which a foreigner marrying an Israelite is almost unheard of. But does. And then look at this. The women said to Naomi. That's why I think the story is about Naomi as much as it is about Ruth. It's not saying to Ruth, oh, look at the wonderful child you have. Now they turned to Naomi and said, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. Because your life has been restored here, right? And may His name become famous in Israel. May He also be to you, here it is, a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons has given birth to Him. You catch that? How good is Ruth? Ruth is equal to what? Seven sons. So she went out with full with two sons, and she comes back now with someone equivalent to seven. How did she come back? Abounding. Well, she lost her husband, but she comes back with seven sons. And the idea there is that I believe Ruth, who is called in chapter 3, verse 11, a woman of excellence, the treasure she brought back from Moab, is better than what she went there with. Although in her eyes, in her mind, she didn't see it. I mean, her perspective, she's coming back empty. She didn't see God's providence in the path. And so these were dark days, but there was even light shining, and she missed it. Had she seen what she brought back from Moab, she wouldn't have said things the way that she said. Now, that's not to deny that things were bitter and empty for her. But the Lord didn't bring her back empty. Rather, she brought Ruth, a jewel and her crown that would shine brightly for all to see. And Naomi saw it, but she saw it later. Isn't this how it is with trials? Consider it all joy, my brethren, in your encounter, fall in the midst of various trials. And now, how many of us rejoice when we're in the trials? We don't. Okay? It's hard. I mean, we should, but oftentimes the trials are just so consuming because... James says, rejoice in the trials because they produce endurance. Have a steadfast effect and then you'll be perfect. So the trials produce a perfection in us. That if we could see the end, then we could rejoice in the means. And if Naomi could see the end of Ruth worth seven sons, she would have rejoiced in the means. But she didn't see it. And I just say, church family, let's see these things. That in our trials... God will use that to restore us to life. earlier we 're saying, and we 're going to close our service singing this song again because it fits perfectly the message of Ruth chapter one. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. I meaning just god 's ways are mysterious. we don 't know how they 're going to work. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. He can 't watch him, he can't trace him out. The storm's coming. who knows where they're coming from? Deep in his dark in hidden minds with never-failing skill. Deep dark away, we don't know anything about it, he fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. O fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you now dread, they look like storm clouds, but rather they're big with mercy and will break with showers of blessing upon your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, as I think... Naomi did hear a little bit, but rather trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. So you've got a frowning providence coming upon our lives, but there's a smiling face of God coming behind it somehow, some way. I don't know how it is in all your circumstances of life. I know in Naomi's life it's Ruth, this jewel of a woman who comes. God's ways are mysterious. He brings clouds. Don't deny the clouds. They are clouds. They are deep and they are dark and they hurt. And I encourage you to, to realize, though, that the clouds will bring showers of blessing that will provide a, a smiling face. And I encourage you to be like Naomi and say, God has dealt with me this way. God has done it because you've got to believe the sovereignty of God to do it because the sovereignty of God is going to be the one who lifts it as well in due time. And though Naomi is facing these dark days... And though she could only see the frowning providence, behind them was the smiling face that we all can trust and see that God who works all things after the counsel of His will will help us with. Because all things to work together for the good. It's not all good, but it all works together for the good. And We just need to trust Him through those trials and in that way. And so I just encourage you, if you're in a trial today, some difficulty today, trust Him. And maybe you're not. You will be. So gear in your mind now, when the trial comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust. I'm going to seek to see beyond this frowning providence. I'm going to look for a smiling face. So let me just pray to that end that that's where we would be. And then we'll sing this song one more time. Hopefully it will have more meaning as we sing it. Oh God, as the chorus goes, we trust in You. O God, we trust in You. May You come evermore, O Lord, with mercies anew. May You help us to see that behind Your your frowning providence is Your smiling face. May we see that you, You work things in mystery in deep and dark ways. But may we see that You work these things for us. I pray that ultimately we might see that that you're the one who restores us to life. Just the story of Ruth. You restored her, you restored Naomi. You restored Israel. You brought the Messiah. And you're working all these things after the counts of your will. So help us, God, to plant these things deep in our hearts. Use the story of Ruth to to show us that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.